Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Essex Church, home to this, our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. Ours is a community made by all those who walk through our doors and who connect with us from around the world in a spirit of goodwill. As Unitarians, we're not a church that gives you answers, and we don't claim to hold the only truth there is. But if you are seeking a path of exploration and inquiry, if you are someone who likes asking questions for which there may never be clear answers, if you are prepared to be challenged and changed by your faith, then this may be just the place for you to be on this sometimes wet, sometimes sunny autumnal morning. So let's take a moment now to settle ourselves to take a conscious breath or two, allowing every being, every molecule of our being to rest here on the forming edge of our life, here now, knowing that nothing ever stays the same, though it's so human to imagine that it does. Yet we live in a universe of constant movement. How important it is then to make time such as this Times when we can be still for a while. Time when we can reflect on how things are and how things might be. And I, uh, I like this champ- chalice, this symbol of our worldwide liberal religious community to affirm that new light is ever waiting to break through to enlighten our ways, that new truth is ever waiting to break through to illumine our minds, and that new love is ever waiting to break through to warm our hearts. May we be open to this light and to the rich possibilities that it brings us. And may this simple flame this morning connect us in spirit with Hindu communities around the world who this week will be celebrating their festival of Diwali, a celebration of light. Just as someone else wants in, 
with one of the silk arrangements to keep the morning so no one brings any flowers. But his laughter as the two flower bearers meet at the altar. They decide on the real flowers, and things settle down for a while until one of the babies starts crying, which then sets off another baby crying. I try to speak over the wailing as their fathers hustle down the aisle and try and distract them at the back. Usually, I love watching the tall, gentle fathers who bounce their babies in backpacks at the rear of the sanctuary. But today I'm annoyed because I want it to be quiet and holy and lovely, and things are definitely not shaping up that way. The woman who's helping the worship gets up and instead of giving the announcements, introduces the candle lighting time, which should come later. People shout out, not yet! And it's more popular. The organist starts playing one hymn, and the kind of choir members yell over the dinner thing to stop. <coughs> a few minutes later, during a period of prayerful silence, he accidentally falls onto the keyboard, causing the organ to emit horrible gassy noises. Shrieks and snorts of laughter. All protests of Sunday morning before is lost. And something inside me, some furious, bossy desire to have my worship service go according to my plan, finally slides through and I laugh with them. This will be the first of many times that I laugh at Sunday morning details gone wrong. It is also the first of many times I imagine that God is watching, looking up or down or over or out of us from wherever God sits on Sunday mornings, slightly amazed and maybe at a loss for words. Because we, God's people, are so funny and wonderful and odd, all at the same time. In moments like these, I imagine God has disturbed your woman with her hands on her hips. Perhaps as a rabbi pulling on his long white beard. Imagine God shaking his or her head and saying, what in the world are they doing over there? This is what we call a church. What were they thinking? But I also imagine a God who is touched and maybe a little honoured by our efforts, however halting, to worship and give praise. I imagine a God who is moved by our attempts to care for one another and to name the things we know as holy. There is a warmth in this congregation, a simple friendliness that shines through the fumblings and failures, a love that makes the navigators smooth. I have always wanted to believe, really believe, that our mistakes are not the most important parts of us. I've always wanted to believe that kindness and compassion matter more than anything, and I sense that I can learn this here. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline. This, um, this week is uh, designated as One World Week here in Britain. This is a, an interfaith initiative that started uh, back in 1978 with Unitarians as one of its founding members. Its aim is to raise awareness at a local level of global issues, to take action to overcome poverty, promote justice, work towards sustainability. One World Week encourages us to celebrate all that is good about living in a diverse yet interconnected world. And this year's theme is Living Differently, Breaking Chains and Making Change. And today is also our Unitarian Day of Peace, when we highlight interfaith connections in our locality. 
I'm really proud that we share our Essex church building with so many different faith groups. Our Jewish synagogue celebrated their festival of Simchat Torah on Friday, late into the night, it's got to be said, and our Eritrean cultural support group are holding a meal here this afternoon. So with all those connections in mind and the connections that you yourselves make in your own lives, let's join together now in a time of prayer and reflection. As I call on the divine spirit of life and love to be with us now and to fill this place with light and warmth and to shine also within us. We humans who have so much potential within us yet so often let our fears and anxieties hold us back and keep us small and separate. May we be braver, bigger, brighter beings this autumn, people who recognise their gifts and use them for the good of all, and people who encourage others to shine too. We live in a world that needs us, a world that needs us to be the best that we can possibly be, A world that is calling us to shine a spiritual light in a material dimension. And how shall we shine that light? Perhaps through our smallest actions, through the quality of our thoughts, through love both for ourselves and for others. Love that we express in so many ways. And so may the spirit of compassion Help us to feel the suffering of the people and all creatures of the world. May the spirit of love melt cold hearts that trample on human rights. May the spirit of beauty help us to preserve the unique splendours of each country. May the spirit of wisdom help us to treasure the mystical insights of all religions. May the spirit of patience and endurance strengthen those who are oppressed and exiled from their homes. May the spirit of courage strengthen those who speak for those who have no voice. And may the spirit of nonviolence bring healing, peace and justice to all the peoples of the world. And let us in a few moments of stillness now Let us find our own thoughts and prayers for the issues we may be grappling with in our own lives or for the people we're concerned for. And may the blessings of love and compassion be with all people this day. And in the words of the International Prayer of Peace, may peace fill our hearts, our world, our universe. Amen.
There's a, um, an old Egyptian story about a little boy named Muli who came to a village where the people were very strange. They did little more than moan and groan about almost everything. The fires didn't get lit, the goats didn't get milked, the children were not clothed and the crops didn't get planted, and all because those people were expecting at any time to get eaten by the monster that lived on top of the mountain overlooking their village. So Muli looked up and behold, that monster was real. He had a head like a crocodile and a body like a hippopotamus and a tail like a very fat snake and smoke and fire came from his nostrils. The villagers lived in dread that any day the monster might come down from that mountain and eat them up. So Muli said to the villagers, I'll go up the mountain by myself. I'll challenge that monster. And they pleaded with him not to go, sure that he would never return. But he did. He went up the mountain. And as he climbed higher and higher and got nearer and nearer, the monster looked smaller and smaller. Hmm, this is a very curious thing indeed, thought Muli. When I run away from the monster, the monster gets larger The nearer I get to it, the smaller it becomes. And when at last Muli reached the cave where that monster lived, instead of a gigantic beast, he found a quiet little creature about the size of a toad. And it purred as Muli picked it up and put it in his pocket and headed back down that mountain. Well, when the villagers saw Muli safe and sound, they wanted to make him their god for slaying that monster. But Muli explained exactly what had happened and how he had brought that monster, so-called, back down the mountain as a pet. He showed them that toad-like creature. What is your name? the villagers asked the little creature. And the monster answered, Hmm, I have many names. Some call me famine, some call me pestilence, some call me war and some illness. And then the little creature yawned and added, but most, most call me what might happen. And that's the story of the monster that was real. Do you ever feel like me that you know the theory of how to live a better life but that it's not quite so easy to put it into practice? I mean, you know, don't you, the sort of things that would be there on the how to live a better life list. Well, for me, it would involve the eating of more leafy green vegetables and fewer meals out, going to bed earlier, taking more exercise using my filing system better instead of piling papers into great towers on the floor. You might want to take a moment and think of of what would be on your list of how to live a better life. I look forward to hearing what you'd add there. And if there is anyone else with need for an improved filing system, well, maybe we can form a support group. Now, we, we have no, um, just no tradition of confession in the, Euro, in the Unitarian community, but if we did, I would confess that on my living a better life list are some ominous words for anyone working in the spiritual field. 
meditate more regularly. I have some lovely books about meditation on my bookshelves. I have CDs of meditations. I have even run introductory courses about the value of developing a meditation practice. But still, it's just not something that I do every day. And I'm telling you this so you know I'm really talking entirely to myself in this next section, which is all about the benefits of having a regular meditation practice in our lives. So you don't need to listen when I tell you that people who meditate, they live longer, they are happier, and they are healthier too, apparently. This information comes primarily from a writer called Daniel Goleman. He was the first person to write about emotional intelligence, the idea that being adept with people and feelings is just as valuable as getting a high score in one of those usual kinds of intelligence tests that seem to involve oddly shaped pieces and turning them round. But the, the book of Goldman's that I've been dipping into recently is called The Meditative Mind. And in it, he describes various studies that he carried out to show how meditation affects people's ability to deal with stress. He took two groups of volunteers, one group who meditated regularly and one group who did not. And in a laboratory, he gave them what he described as a standard um, test for stress. So if you are of a nervous disposition, you can cover your ears at this point. The volunteers are told to relax for 20 minutes, during which time they all sit quietly, but the regular meditators meditate. And then they're all shown a film of gruesome accidents happening in a woodwork factory. You can imagine the sort of thing, circular saws, sharp chisels, etc., etc. Not a pleasant sight by all accounts. The meditators had a unique pattern of reaction to the film. Just before the accident was about to happen, their heart rates increased and they began to sweat more than the non-meditators to get ready to meet the distressing sight that they knew was about to occur with that circular saw, their heartbeats rose and their bodies mobilised in a classic flight-or-fight type reaction to stress. But as soon as the accident on the film was over, the meditators recovered. Their signs of bodily arousal fell far more quickly than the non-meditators. They showed a rapid recovery from the symptoms of stress. Goldman points out in his book that this is the key benefit of meditation. Not that people no longer react to life stimuli, both positive and negative, but that they regain their equilibrium more quickly. They come back to a point of balance in life, back to that centred point once more, ready to meet the next swing of the pendulum that life inevitably brings. Another word to describe this response is resilience, they have strengthened their resilience to life's turbulence. They have that calm centre within themselves that helps them return to a state of peace. There's a story from the Taoist tradition about a wise priest called Hakim who lived in a village and was praised by neighbours for the pure life that he led. And in the village there was a beautiful young girl whose, whose parents owned a nearby shop one day, her parents discovered that she was pregnant. They were furious, particularly when she just would not tell them who the father of the child was. And eventually, after a lot of harassment, she named Hakim, the wise priest, as the father. 
Well, you can imagine the fury with which the parents went knocking at that priest's door, accusing him of making their daughter pregnant. Is that so? was all he'd reply. And once the, do- the child was born, the family brought that baby straight to Hakim's door. And by this time, he'd lost his reputation. It didn't seem to trouble him. And he dedicated himself to taking excellent care of the child. But a year later, the young mother could bear the situation no longer, told her parents the truth. The true father of that baby was a young man who worked in the fish market. Well, the girl's father and mother went straight to Hakim's house to ask his forgiveness, to apologise at once and to take back the child. And as the wise priest, Hakim gave them their child, all he said was, Ah, is that so? Hmm. Oh, to be so at peace in the face of injustice, to be able to accept what is. But then let's not forget that there are some things in life where we just shouldn't accept them, should we? In the face of some wrongs, we need humanity to mobilise itself and work to bring about change. And Eastern spiritual traditions recognise this too. There's a story from the Buddhist tradition which gives us helpful advice on how to go about such tasks. There was once a young woman disciple committed to the spiritual path. She was developing her meditation, as you should, on loving kindness. Sitting in her small room day after day, she would fill her heart with loving kindness for all beings. Yet as each day, as she went to the market to gather her food, she would find her loving kindness being sorely tested by one of the stallholders who daily subjected her to unwelcome caresses, rude suggestions, stupid remarks. And one day she could just stand it no longer and she began to chase that shopkeeper down the road, brandishing her upraised umbrella. Well, to her mortification, she passed her meditation teacher standing on the side of the road observing this spectacle. Shame-faced, she went to stand before him expecting to be rebuked for her anger. Ah, what you should do, her master kindly advised her, is to fill your heart with loving kindness and with as much mindfulness as you can muster, hit this unruly fellow firmly over the head with your umbrella. (laughs) So here's my recipe for today, a recipe for a peaceful life. Let's accept that life is not peaceful. The quote on the front of today's order of service from Theodore Rubin puts it well. The problem is not that there are problems. The problem is expecting otherwise and thinking that having problems is a problem. So let's work to develop our awareness that the only place where peace can reside is within ourselves and within our minds and find ways to help us bring ourselves back to that place of peace. I do realise that this has not dealt with the lack of green leafy vegetables in my diet and the dreadful state of my filing system. So we'll come back to that another week. Amen. Our time together is ended. We have heard that ancient call to be a people united in love, in peace, in joy. To be a people of vision, seeing a world where peace and justice rule.
where all are welcomed and celebrated, where love governs. We have heard this vision, and now we go forth to make it a reality, our reality. Amen. Go well, and blessed be.